0: to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that by taking our next steps towards Christ together, day by day. We don't want to be one of those churches that just meets on Sunday. We want to be about the business of the kingdom every single day of the week. We're also a church that has flaws. If you look around, you won't find any perfect people here. We're all in process, some level or another. But, of course, we don't want to stay in that not okay place which is why we're also a church that loves you enough to tell you the truth in the person, words, and works of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've been learning about that truth straight from the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' first recorded sermons. And as he describes it to us, he's turning our world upside down because the things that the world prizes, God despises, and the things that God prizes, the world despises. And that's why when we feel so out of place sometimes, it's okay because we're not made for this world. God is shaping us for his kingdom. Last week I know we encountered a pretty challenging truth that not everyone who says, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven. That our words, our knowledge, our feelings, and our works, all of them are insufficient to enter God's kingdom. When we place our faith in anything else other than Christ's blood, And his merit, we can expect to hear those words on the great day of judgment. I never knew you. Because Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, where he is our loving master, and we are his obedient servant. In other words, we're to respond to the great love he has for us by loving him back in obedience. The message last week, hopefully, was a helpful warning against living a life of self deception. So I'd like to start the message today by reading from our text from last week because it's so closely connected to the parable that we're going to study this week. So last week, this is what we read Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And hopefully we've all been wrestling with that text throughout this past week. And now our text for this morning. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it now both of these texts are a stark warning to all who would call themselves christians so let's ask god's help and then we'll dig in almighty god we humbly ask seek and knock that you will quiet our minds open our hearts to receive the word that you have for each of us this day. Show us what you want us to learn. Convict us. Counsel us. Comfort us. Make us more like our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we have here the first of 23 parables contained in the book of Matthew. And a parable is a practical story used to illustrate a spiritual lesson. Jesus employed this device quite often. It helps us relate the world we experience with the lesson that we need to learn. So our parable in today's text has two houses, one built by a wise man on a rock on stable grounds. The other is built by a foolish man on sand unstable ground so without even having the context of our scripture we all know it's wise to build on rock and foolish to build on sand the consequences of building on sand are catastrophic because when the rains come and the floods come the sand washes away and your house will collapse you'd be an absolute fool to spend that much money building a house on sand. Of course, the house represents the totality of our lives. So we're not to build our lives on sinking sand, or else the totality of our life will eventually collapse too, especially on that final day of judgment. Now for sure, the houses look identical above ground, don't they? Illustrating how these are both Professing Christians, they both attend in-person or online worship. They read their Bibles at least one chapter a day. They pray before they eat. They got those fish stickers on their cars. They even say, God bless you, when somebody sneezes. On the surface, they both appear to be living the Christian life, doing the kind of things good Christians should do. The only difference is that the wise guy that builds on a stable rock hears Jesus' words and obeys them, while the foolish guy that builds his house on sinking sand hears Jesus' words but does not obey them. So this is clearly Jesus' building on what he taught us last week about the importance of obedience. And by obedience, we mean, as Jesus taught us last week, one who does the will of God, God's commanded will, as we find in Scripture. You'll recall last week that we also learned that Jesus puts an enormous price on our relationship with Him. So it's important that we understand this nexus between being in a relationship with Jesus and being obedient to His Word. And when we look throughout much of the Apostle John's writing, we see that that linkage is found in this word, love. If you remember from last week, John writes in the words of Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, or obey. So there's a direct linkage between loving Jesus, being in a relationship with him, and being obedient to his word. Now I realize this is not typically what we think of when we hear the word love. Love is a very complex topic. In fact, we could spend months studying it. But the likes of Hallmark and Disney, they make love out to be this deep emotional feeling. But certainly, love has to do with feelings. But the Bible teaches us that love also involves choosing to obey. Love is an act of the will. That's how God made it. We all know that God created the heavens and the earth, and they're breathtaking, but he also created things like love, and that is breathtaking too. And he designed love in such a way that it would be uniquely linked to the freedom he also gave us to choose. You see, you can make people do a lot of things with incentives or threats, but the one thing you can't make someone do is love you. Remember when you had a crush in elementary school and that boy or girl sitting next to you? And no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't convince them to be interested in you because it's their choice. So when God created love by design, it was uniquely linked to this notion of choice. I think it's why it seems so odd when Jesus calls us to love our enemies because it doesn't feel like something we should do, it's not an emotion. He's talking about choice. And that's the same thing with obedience. we got a choice. We can hear and choose to obey, or as we see in John 14, meaning love Jesus, to be in a relationship with Him, or we can hear and choose to not obey, to not love Jesus, and to not be in a relationship with Him. So that's the linkage between our relationship with Jesus and our obedience to his word and his will. Now I'd like to take a look at three specific types of professing Christians that fit within this parable. This is not an exhaustive list, but when we walk through this, I think you will see it's pretty representative of what we typically think when we hear someone who calls themselves a Christian. The first type is straightforward. The wise man who builds on rock. He hears and chooses to obey. Why? Why? because he's been convicted by his sin. And he has confronted the price Jesus paid on the cross for his sin. He sees Jesus as his loving master, and he loves Jesus back by being obedient as a servant. He is in a relationship with Jesus. And he also sees how obedience is actually good for him. Think of it kind of like a toddler who wants to play in the street. She doesn't know the danger that awaits her. But she heeds her dad's warning to stay in the yard because it's her dad, and she's in a relationship with him. She loves him, so she obeys him. And it's good for her that she obeys and doesn't play in the middle of the street. You see how obedience is good for us. So we'll call this type humble Christian. Because that's how he's responded to Jesus' love for him, as a humble servant. Now, we learned a little about type two last week. A fool who builds on sand. He hears, but chooses to not obey. This type of fool doesn't love Jesus. He loves self. He does Christian things to build himself up. Goes to church each week might teach Sunday school, pray those profound prayers, always be the first to raise his hand and volunteer, but he does it all for himself to establish his Christian merit. After all, the church is pretty lucky to have him. But he isn't obedient to the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, especially the whole part about having pure internal intentions. Oh, he knows more than everyone else in church. Just ask him, he'll tell you. He's a superior saint in his own mind, but he doesn't know Jesus. Jesus isn't his master. He isn't Jesus' servant because he doesn't obey Jesus. He is his own master. and We'll call him self-reliant Christian because he's placed his faith in his words, his feelings, his works, and his superior knowledge. Type 3 depicts another one of those fools builds on sand he also hears does not obey so this is the guy that hates this whole idea of hell it's very worrisome to him but someone told him about Jesus and this thing called grace seems like a pretty sweet deal he doesn't have to do anything to earn it it's a free gift and apparently he can still live his best worldly life so he's happy to build his house just like all good Christians should, no problem. Pray before he eats, you got it. Roll up in here a few times a month, maybe on holidays, drop a 20 in the box, say God bless you when someone sneezes, slap that fish sticker on his wife's car. Too easy. He can play the part with the best of them as long as he can still enjoy all the things of this world. He's just not too interested in obeying all that we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount because he loves his worldly possessions. They're treasures to him. He likes his pornography way too much to give that up. Besides, he's covered. He's got grace for that. Can you imagine using the amazing gift of grace to enable disobedience That is not what grace is for. What an insult it must be to our Lord. And sadly, it's so prevalent among professing Christians these days to even begin to think that he doesn't have to be obedient because Jesus will cover it with his grace. This guy doesn't love Jesus. I'd argue he doesn't even love the idea of going to heaven for that matter. Because if you think about it, Going to heaven is all about praising and worshiping our Lord. And this guy doesn't even like to come to church. He only comes whenever it's convenient for him. In fact, you have to ask yourself, if you don't like coming to church, what makes you think you're going to want to enjoy heaven for eternity? Well, I guess the alternative of burning in hell is even less appealing. So he just goes ahead and he plays the part. So let's call this guy complacent christian because he looks the part but he is complacent in his christian walk of obedience so he's not in a relationship with jesus he's a fool because he built his life on sinking sand and when the storms come in our lives they will test us especially when we face final judgment The house built on rock by the wise man who was obedient and truly loved Jesus, was in a relationship with him, will stand up to those tests. While the house built on sand by the foolish man who was not obedient and didn't love Jesus will fall when tested. You see, obedience matters. Yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, there's grace. But Jesus also calls us to a life of obedience A life of love and relationship with him. And we just simply can't leave that part out. That's what that narrow path that Jesus mentions is all about. And as Jesus says, it's not easy. But it's also why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Because we couldn't make it on our own without him. Do you remember a few weeks back when Jesus was teaching us on judgment to the point of condemnation? I mean, he was wearing us out with that. And then there was a week where he gave us this hope, where if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be opened every single time. And he's referring to the things of his kingdom, those necessities that we need to walk down that narrow path. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit convicts counsels and comforts always pointing us to Jesus and calling us to obedience. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, He's now our master. So then we are His servant. And a true servant obeys His master. If a servant doesn't obey his master, then he never really had a master. And that's why last week's sermon was so sobering, because Jesus said, you might think you know me, But I never knew you. You claimed to be my servant. You made a public profession. even showed up to church when it was convenient for you. But you didn't do what I told you. You didn't ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit to guide you. You were foolish. You built your house on sand. But the wise man who builds his house on the rock, who loves and obeys his master, he will one day hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I think it's helpful to link Jesus' message the last two weeks with this graphic that we've used throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Let's start at the bottom in that white space. At a point in time, denoted by that first gray dot, we are born into this world. At another point in time, denoted by the second gray dot, We die. We leave this world. And in between those two gray dots is a black dash or a line that represents our lives. And we all start out on that wide, dark path headed for eternal destruction, focused on self, enslaved by our sin, at enmity with God, and unable to save ourselves. At some point, God convicts His people Of their sin and calls them to repentance they turn from their sin and accept the offer of forgiveness placing their faith in Jesus they are then justified made right in a moment before God by that red drop of Christ's blood born again into a new life in Christ to signify this new birth they are called to be water baptized as an outward sign of this inward grace of salvation they receive the Holy Spirit who walks with them down that narrow, well-lighted path, sanctifying them, always pointing them away from self and pointing them to Jesus, calling them to respond in obedience, becoming more Christ-like each day. So if this is how it all goes down, you can see why it is not possible to make it through that narrow gate as disobedient self-reliant christian or as disobedient complacent christian the only one getting through that gate is humble christian the one who loves and obeys jesus by the power of the holy spirit the one who places faith in that red drop of blood that our loving master shed for us and absolutely nothing else well, there's still going to be this ongoing battle with sin. And that's why we say each week that it is okay to not be okay. None of us are perfect. But by God's grace, with the Holy Spirit's help, we'll confess and repent day by day so that we don't stay in that not okay place. That's what it means to be born again, living a new life in Christ, depending on the Holy Spirit, walking in humble obedience as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Eliminate adultery and lust. Eradicate murder and anger against our brother. Renounce the love of money. Stop storing up treasures on earth. Forgive our neighbor. Quit worrying. That wasn't a suggestion by Jesus. That was a command quit worrying don't judge people to the point of condemnation and of course all the while ask seek and knock for the holy spirit's help because we surely cannot do this on our own and this is where the message from last week and today provides such a stark call for all of us for those who would call themselves christians we must ask ourselves, are we living a life of self deception? Is our house built on the solid rock of obedience or the sinking sands of disobedience? Are we the self reliant Christian, looking to our Christian resume to justify getting through that narrow gate? Are we the complacent Christian, on the surface, playing the part, but still very much? In love with this world am i resting in my words that i profess my knowledge of scripture and doctrine my feelings about God my works my baptism or even my obedience the very thing that Jesus calls us to today because every one of those are about me they're all about self And doing that means we actually never left the wide, dark path in the first place. When we are on the narrow path, it's only and always about Jesus. Nothing but his blood shed on that cross, period. As Alistair Begg points out, the only answer for our salvation can be found in the third person. It's not what I did. My words, my knowledge, my feelings, my works, my baptism, my obedience, or even my faith, although that is the instrument. Those are all in the first person. My, me, I, self. Salvation is never found in the first person. It's only in the third person. It's not what I did. It's what he did, his blood, that red drop up there that he shed for us, and not one thing more. You know, those two thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus, one of them continued to mock Jesus, while the other acknowledged Jesus for who he was, the Messiah. And Jesus promised from that cross that the repentant thief who placed his faith in Jesus would join him in heaven. So that thief showed up to heaven with nothing in that gray column up there on that graphic. No words, no knowledge, no feelings, no works, no baptism, no obedience. He didn't have time for any of that before he died. So when asked at the gates of heaven, why should he be allowed in, there was nothing of his own that he could point to the only thing that thief could say was that that man on the center crossed he said I could come that's it that's all we got it's as simple as a childlike faith trusting in the truth of Jesus alone and nothing else And when we're truly convicted of that truth, who He is and what He did, we won't be able to help ourselves. We'll profess from our heart of hearts our devotion to our Lord. We'll seek to know Him with all we've got. The feelings of love we have for Him will overflow to a profound love for all, even our enemies. We won't be able to help ourselves, but to respond with our hands and our feet, working to care for and disciple all those around us. We'll quickly lose our interest in the things of this world and our fascination with our possessions. And our baptism, it will be the most sacred moment in our lives because it marks the day that we finally surrendered, the moment when we were born again into a new life in Christ and accepted Jesus as our loving master, so we can no longer help ourselves but to love him back by being obedient. It won't be a burden either, because obedience is for our good, and it'll be our greatest joy to serve him. Oh, and we won't take credit for any of it, because we've been asking, seeking, and knocking for the Holy Spirit, and depending on him the entire time, because there's no way we can do any of this on our own. You see, we don't respond in obedience to get into heaven. It's because we're already in heaven by Christ's blood shed on the cross that we can't help but respond in love and obedience. Yes, there will be plenty of suffering along that narrow path for sure. You can count on it. But on the other side of that narrow gate, no eye have seen No ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him and therefore choose to obey Him. So, if you've been hearing all these years but haven't been obeying, if your house is built on a foundation of sinking sand, man, stop what you're doing right now. Confess, repent. It wasn't too late for the thief, it's not too late. For any of us. God's mercy is unfathomable. Knock that house down that was built on sand and start over again on the rock by asking, seeking, and knocking for the Holy Spirit. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, and He will do it. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to Your name be all the glory. Lord, we thank you for your convicting word yet again today. Forgive us when we are not obedient to your word and your revealed will. Forgive us when we play the part of a Christian but are still in love with the world. And especially, forgive us when we make our Christianity all about us. Please help us, Father. Help us place our faith in one thing, and one thing only, the blood of Christ, and help us by the power of the Holy Spirit call us to obedience out of our love for Jesus. It's for Jesus' sake that we ask, seek, and knock. Amen. (music)